Hey everybody, it's Matt. I want to tell you about a special event coming up on June 12th, 2024. It's Future Proof Your Workflows with TechSmith and AI. During the event, you're going to get exclusive previews of new features and get a chance to learn from industry pros and TechSmith experts. For all the details, make sure you visit us at bit.ly slash tsc-june24. Remember, that's all lowercase, and we are so excited to have you join us and look forward to seeing you. To be like Alexander Hamilton. So in the musical, there's Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Alexander Hamilton is the good guy, Aaron Burr is the bad guy. And look at the motivations of each. Alexander Hamilton wanted to speak his mind. He didn't really care who, uh, how polarizing he was. Aaron Burr it was the opposite. Aaron Burr wanted to be loved by all. He even told Alexander Hamilton, talk less, smile more, don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. And who is the bad guy and who is the good guy 200 something years later? So the person that spoke their mind, that had the courage to trust their voice and their instincts, they're the good guys. So the same thing with you and your creative is trust yourself. Like, don't be scared. Don't worry about what has been done or what are the risks of failure. Like, speak your mind because it is valid. Just like Alexander Hamilton had good things. And Aaron Burr, because he was just kind of saccharine and made no decisions and just wanted to be loved by all, who's he? He's just a bad guy. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are and wherever you're watching from. I'm Matt Pierce, your host today, and we are going to be talking about something that I think is really interesting. As, as a creative person, or if you've ever had a pitch ideas, you know that can be stressful, can be challenging. Well, we're going to be talking to Guy Bauer, and he's going to be talking about with us, we're going to dive into some ways that he's changed his business model a little bit around how he does that, some reasons he does that. And I think you're going to want to hear it because it does involve some asynchronous work, and I think that could be something for everybody that you could learn from. So let's go ahead and introduce Guy. Guy is the founder and creative director of Umalt. I think I got that right. You, you guys will see in a second why that's, that's important. A B2B video ad agency. He's been making videos since the seventh grade and has owned his agency since 2010. Guy lives in Chicago with his wife and two daughters who are seven and nine. He's a lifelong Cincinnati Bengals fan. So up until a few years ago, he was regretting that decision. With that said, we are so excited to have Guy Bauer join us here in the Visual Lounge. Hey, Guy. <laughs> hey, Matt. What's up? Uh, so glad that you're here. Um, so, I mean, obviously, there's a little bit in background. You talk about your your bio talks about your, your agency. Tell us a little bit first about your agency. Set some context for us about what you do. Sure. So, uh, like, the overall story on me is I've been making videos since the seventh grade, uh, it's just been my hobby my entire life. And back in 2010, after a decade of being in film, radio, and TV, um, the recession kind of disrupted that whole thing. And I started uh, making videos professionally for money. And over the past, you know, 13 years since then, have um, 
gone through. I've le- I've made every mistake. I've learned every. I, I mean, I won't say I learned every lesson, and I probably haven't made <laughs> every mistake. But I've proceeded to make mistakes. But then, more importantly, learn from them and just kind of go through the. Uh, if you could imagine like a bowling alley with those bumpers, I feel like I've just bumped my way down bowling alley, and so um, yeah, I've just uh, built my agency based on. Um, years and years of trying new things, experimenting. And, and yeah, and so our clients are all B2B brands. Um, and B2B typically is a place that's devoid of creativity, that mm-hmm. there's a creativity problem in B2B. And so one of the big obstacles that I've had to solve for was, you know, it's, it's, it's almost easy to come up with a good idea, but it's hard to sell it. And I'm not talking about selling a project, like getting paid to make a video. I'm talking about selling an idea. How many times have you had a great idea, but couldn't get it sold in, like couldn't get people to buy into this idea. And then everything defaults over to safety and you end up making something that's safe, boring, has been seen before or whatever. So, uh, yeah, so that's what I'm going to share today is five ways to sell an idea. I, I love it. So, so guy, before we, we dive into those ways, uh, we, we always like to start off just with, uh, an idea, get, get some tips, uh, uh, give us one tip. Okay. You're, you're a video guy. You've been making video f- for forever at this point, right? That your whole life has pretty much uh, been making video. And, and if you guys haven't gone out and seen his videos, they're fantastic. I mean, super creative, super visually rich and interesting. Uh, the one with the carol- carolers singing about <laughs> fantastic. I won't spoil it. Uh, Thank you. So, but what's one tip you could give our audience about using images or video in their work just to help them be more successful, whatever they're doing, uh, using those four. One tip I would say is understand that video is a medium. It's an idea transmission medium. So think of Van Gogh. Van Gogh used oil painting. I don't know, I'm not sure if it was oil paint, but he used painting as his medium. He had an idea. He had a concept. His medium was paint. J.D. Salinger had ideas. His medium was, you know, books. So video is just a medium for idea transmission. And so many times people, they just make a video without embedding an actual idea in the video. (laughs) So they just like make a video. You have to focus on the idea first. So many people rush into just making it, taking out the camera. Taking out the camera is like step 17 of 20 in terms of how I make videos. Steps one through 16 are all just ideas. So I would say that's the biggest thing is make sure you put an idea in. Focus on writing out stuff and thinking. That's how you make an effective video. Yeah, I well, I, I love that, and it actually leads in really well to where we're gonna go because you, as you, you know, you you did a great job at prepping me for this conversation. The first thing you, you, you the idea that you threw out was this idea of actually don't start with an idea, start with a strategy. But so okay, so you just said like, hey, and ideas are really important. They get oftentimes I think, and I think you're right. People are like, hey, I'm just gonna pull out the camera and make something, and I can see why that that doesn't work. You need something more concrete, more tangible, maybe to help with that. But what, where does strategy come in the idea here of, in terms of you're going to, you're going to sell an idea. Ideas don't get, you know, ideas, 
I don't want to say they're dime a dozen, but ideas, there's a lot of ideas. And I failed at this many times. I have failed at getting an idea from uh, kind of ideation to into actual like, yes, we can do this and we're going to make it. Yeah. So, so where does strategy fit in? So why not start with an idea is because I everyone's ideas are subjective too, or not to, but starting with ideas are totally subjective. What I think is a good idea, someone may think is a bad idea, but if there's no basis, if we're not grounded in a foundation of like, well, what are the goals and all that stuff, then we're just arguing over ideas. And I think that idea is good or that idea is bad, but they're not tied to anything. Um, it's almost like think of think of like a 360 degree radial and there's ideas across the spectrum. And if you just go to your stakeholders or go to whoever is approving the idea at, with an idea, you know, that's on radial 272 or something, uh, and they're thinking that they're over on radial 59 or whatever, you're just in a totally different ballpark. And then since they're the boss, they'll just shoot your idea down. So why I say start with a strategy is let us create a box. Let us create the spectrum in which on that 360 degree radial in which we're operating. Let's determine what not to do before we determine what to do. Because the other thing about stakeholders is stakeholders are very risk averse. So if you come up with a big, bold, creative idea, usually be, if there's no basis, if there's no strategic uh, like guardrails, they're just going to say, well, that's just crazy and you know, give you a safe idea to do. So start with a strategy allows us to say, all right, who are we talking to? Uh, what do we want to say? Who are the competitors? Who are our who are the people that are also trying to compete with this message or whatever? Let's look at what they're doing. That's a big step in our process is like, for example, in um, big sector in B2B is uh, like web services, right? Mm -hmm. Like cloud services. Well, every cloud service stakeholder wants to do something with F1 racing. They want to do like a race car metaphor. So, a lot of times what we do is we go in and show them competitors all using F1 race car analogies. And we ask, what are the odds that if we do another F1 race car analogy that we're going to stick out? So a lot of times that's, so instead of arguing over the creative merit, instead of making the, the, you'll lose if you go, well, F1 racing is boring or everyone, you know, like, or, you know, like it's, it's not funny or whatever, like you're going to lose that argument. But if you say, if the argument is all of our competitors are doing it, what are the odds that we stick out if we just add to white noise? That's what will get stakeholders to say, all right, well, then we won't do F1. That's a huge achievement because what you're doing is you're shrinking that box of possibility and then you can be creative in that box. But a lot of it, of what empowers creativity is just what are we not doing? So that's why I would say start with a strategy, get your stakeholders to commit what not to do. And then, you know, now you don't have to do the boring stuff. And that it, it's almost like you're you're limiting the range of where we're operating is only in the interesting range. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love that, right? Because I, I have definitely been in scenarios where I've I've talked with stakeholders and I had a vision and said, oh, what do we do this? And they're like, well, 
I don't, I don't get that. Right. Or, or like, yeah. and it's like all of a sudden I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not setting up to say like, well, here's what we don't want it to be. We don't want it to be this and this and this. And so I, I, so I love that idea of like trying to help the stakeholder to move kind of come, you're both coming closer to like, okay, what is within possibility? Cause I mean, let's, let's face it. We've, we've all probably came up with really crazy ideas that like were, would have been really cool, but would have really worked. I, I know I have, and it would not have worked. It would have been, would have been terrible. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, as kind of, we look at like your second point that you put out is that creative should be presented asynchronously. And this is, this really fascinated me. We've, we've talked on, on the visual lounge with uh, other guests about using asynchronous work and we've got some research about asynchronous work, but I'm, I'm curious for you because you're working in an environment where um, my guess is traditionally in an agency environment, you're pitching a lot and it's probably mostly done again, traditionally in person because you want that FaceTime. You want to be able there to see the, the emotions, read the room, and then also give your emotions. But, but why, why have you kind of started to make this shift? What, what happened that I guess kind of what happened and, and why? Yeah, well, I can say this is that just to start that ever since we started using asynchronous, the like our ideas and our creative have just been like the the percentage of creative ideas that are very bold uh, have gone through the roof. Like the ones you know, the our our hit win rate, our percentage of success of getting those across the finish line have gone up. Okay, so why not live? Live is amazing. For all the reasons you said, you can read the room, all that stuff. The issue is with live, and by live, I mean, you know, I haven't been in a client office in years. So by live, <laughs> I mean like on a Zoom call or something. The issue with live is this, is that you create a vacuum when you pitch something live in that everyone on that call has to say something. They have to, or else... It's the same, it's the classic client thing or else they, they don't look like they're doing their job. So what invariably happens, even if the idea is killer, it's amazing, it will be shot down. People will point out every little thing that's wrong with it. And because, again, they, they have to go around the horn and, and you know, and say something. So uh, your percentage of it being shot down and being kind of picked apart goes way up. So the cool thing about, so so then, all right, so let's think of the alternate. Let's imagine asynchronous didn't exist. So, okay, so then let's send it over email. Let's send a deck over email. We'll send the deck in a PDF form and then write up a summary. A, no one reads, right? <laughs> uh, I, I've said, how many times have you sent an email to someone? Like the password is this, and then they they respond back like, what's the password? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, that's like the body of the email. It's the only thing in the email. So A, no one reads. B, oh my gosh, how many times has someone written something to you over email? There's a key and peel sketch where they're texting and you're misinterpreting the language and uh, totally like reading some nasty tone that isn't a nasty tone. And so there's so much, you lose all that live stuff. Live, I get to put energy. If something is funny, I get to deliver it with funniness and all that stuff. So anchor asynchronous combines the energy of a live call, but the clarity of an email. And the other thing is a lot of times the state, the people approving creative aren't 
they're not very creative. So like to me, if you tell me, if you give pitch me an idea, I have exercised my creative muscle over the past 13 years where in three seconds, I can tell you if I like it or not. Like I have learned and like grown my taste muscle. Right. Mm -hmm. So I know that's good. That's bad. That maybe needs some work, but what are the odds that stakeholders who deal in spreadsheets and, you know, leadership and management have like exercised their creative instinct muscle? They haven't. Asynchronous allows people to watch it on their own time, digest, and most importantly, sleep on it. Sleeping on it is the secret to all of the best creative I've ever put out. It has come through sleeping on it, taking showers, just thinking, (laughs) watching TV and seeing something going, oh yeah, that's kind of all right. So asynchronous allows people to digest it. And then also there's no like panel of people that are like picking it apart live. So that's why I say if it's a creative idea, it must be presented asynchronous or uh, the chances of it getting approved just go down precipitously. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that because I, I have, again, I've been in the situations where it's like, yep, we all got to say something. We're all going to, and then it, it just gets torn apart. Even if that was never the intention, right? Like yeah. just because, yeah, you feel like, well, now they're critical. Maybe I should be critical um, I, at some point and we'll see if we have time, but I, I, I love this idea. You're talking about growing your taste muscles. Uh, even if we can't get anything in this recording, I'd love to talk to you about that. Cause I think that's such an yeah. interesting idea, right? Like, cause you're right. Like, and as someone who is, uh, works with creatives, uh, also as a manager and all this stuff, I, I feel like I do okay. But like, that's an area like, yeah, I see that all the time. Like people are like, yeah, I, I'm doing all these other things. And it comes to creative. It's, you know, maybe not having, they just don't have a strong opinions developed yet. So. Correct. Um, right. So I do, I do want to keep going because I want to get to the five ideas that we've we've promised right. here. So you, you talked about this idea of pre-visualization, right? So we're moving through this process. You're going to give this pitch. We've talked a little bit about like, you know, like narrowing down, eliminating things that you're not going to do. Talk to me about what does it mean to pre-visualize and getting the people that you're working with to pre-visualize your ideas? Sure. Like if I say a guy walks in a door and does a dance. If you just say that, if you just put that in writing, a guy walks in and does a dance, um, that may be funny. That may be like uh, weird. That can be interpreted <laughs> so many. And what kind of a door? Is it an office? Is it a house? Is it a door of an airplane? Um, it leaves the mind to fill in the blanks. So what I mean by pre-visualization is is make a mood board. Like go, like if you have an idea of a seventies guy walking into an old kind of house and doing like a seventies dance, pull images, like probably like from uh, Saturday night fever or pull images of like seventies, go on Pinterest, seventies architecture, seventies home decor, seventies fashion. What you want to do is leave very little to the imagination. Again, stakeholders don't really have the imagination muscle down. They can't turn, like it's crazy. I, I just did a, a, so part of our pre-visualization is is um, making storyboards. My storyboard artist, her name is Jessica Luff. She's amazing. I send her like words just in a script and somehow she has exercised this visualization muscle so well, like she turns my words into the exact frame 
that I have in my head. That is a skill that she has honed over years and years and years and years. The odds of the stakeholders, the business-oriented stakeholders you're pitching creative to, the, the odds of them having that kind of muscle, very, very, very low. So you have to do that for them. Show them. Don't make them imagine things because they may imagine it wrong. So many times earlier in my career, I pitched an idea in writing and uh, when the client finally saw the result, they were not happy. And I'm like, wait a second, you approved this script. But what they approved mm. in their head was much different than what was in my head. So you have to use images, videos, references. And the, the easiest way to do this is, is through a mood board or a storyboard. Pre-visualize. Yeah, I love that because you said a guy walking through the door dancing. What dance? Was he... Foxtrot, right. tango, waltzing, whatever, right? And it's it's all of a sudden, yeah, you're leaving so many things up to interpretation, but then that creates unclarity. And then it's like, well, I would never see a guy foxtrotting in our commercial. And then it's like, oh, well, I wasn't talking about. I, I love that. And yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about storyboard and video creation and I can see like, that's, yeah, it is tough, right? And I, one thing I always talk to people about, and you know, we talk to a lot of people who are in corporate businesses or making videos for like training or learning purposes. You know, everything in your video should have purpose, right? And but you've got to think about those things. And so that's just, yeah, it makes sense that you're you're doing that in the pitch, right? Everything we're gonna show has yep. purpose. It's it's defined. The next idea that you shared was uh, with me was don't share bad or safe ideas. And I I I think I know where this is going because um bad ideas, obviously you never want someone to pick a bad idea and safe ideas, but talk to me a little bit more about like, so then what are you, uh, like, have you, you know, how do you do that well, I guess, not share bad ideas or safe ideas? Because it feels like we do, we still do it, right? Even if I know yeah. not to do it, I, I, I still do it. Well, a lot of times it's, it's because we want to share multiple things. So, all right, we'll just stuff that other idea and they won't pick it where they'll understand it's bad. But it's just like when you buy a snowblower, you guarantee it will not <laughs> snow. Um, it's the same thing. When you put a bad or a safe idea in, you almost guarantee they will pick it. So um, this one is really simple is you must, it's gotta be where every idea you put forward, you're totally fine with them picking it and you'd like them to pick it. And if it's between, you know, quality or quantity, I would just do quality. If you only came up with one good idea, just be honest. Say, this is the only good idea we came up with. If, you know, don't don't kind of stuff. We have this as humans. We want to kind of like stuff it and make it look plumpier than it, you know, <laughs> plumpier. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like we're trying to make it look like, yeah, yeah, we, like, we did all this. Um but no, just don't do it. It's a very easy, this, this one I would just say is just, if you don't like it, do not put it in. Even if you think others may like it, um, if you don't like it, don't put it in because it's very hard to execute on an idea that you don't like. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I do, I do love that because it is one of those things I feel like it's so easy to say like, oh, I got to show that I did all this work and all this thought. And, and at the end of the day, then you just end up just I end up disappointed when I do that because it is, you're right, it's the thing that usually gets picked and it's like, well, I like this other idea, but <laughs> yep. I, didn't, I didn't give it a shot. So, all right, we got one, one more idea here. Uh, you talked about controlling variables and it seems like there's a kind of a theme here, right? In terms of talking to stakeholders, 
you want to make sure you understand and kind of control. They, they don't have that imagination muscle. They, they've exercised a lot. Uh, they can't picture what's in your head. Um, so talk to me about what does it mean to control variables in your pitch and in your process and, and how do we do that? Yeah. So what we want to do is give people, <laughs> this is going to sound a lot more uh, sinister than it really is, but give people <laughs> the illusion of choice. So like when you're on a plane, you know, flying international, it's the only time you get a meal. <clears throat> they go, would you like the chicken or the pasta? They don't go, what do you want to eat today? Because <laughs> uh, odds are they don't have it. They just give you the illusion of choice. You have chicken or pasta, which one? And then you have some choice. They're they're controlling the amount of variables there are so that you're not disappointed. It's very, like, if no one knows what to do, they will take control. So, like, stakeholders, even though they don't know the process of making something creative, if you have not um, given them a clear path step-by-step step and control the variables, they will then take over and project manage this creative thing. Because in the lack, in the la with the lack of controls and the lack of processes, and by um, not taking away variables, that just creates confusion. And then stakeholders, because they're in management, what do they do? They're going to take control. So what you need to do is have the chicken or pasta mentality is which of these three things do you like? Which work? This is a sales tactic too, by the mm -hmm. way. You don't ask your prospect, when would you like to meet? You say, I have Thursday open. Does one or 3 p.m. sound better to you? You control the amount of variables so that they have choice, but really they don't have any choice because you're controlling the <laughs> box in which they're making choices, which means the airline doesn't care if you pick chicken or pasta. They really don't care because they have enough for everybody and they're making you happy by giving you some choice. So control the amount of decisions. And then when you do give someone a decision, don't give them like infinite decision, right? Like, what do you like? What do you, what do you want to make? You know, or anything like where there's just, unlimited variables you want to control a or b or c which one tell me yeah well yeah i, I think the only time to make the, the the decisions made for you on an airplane is if you, your pilots can't eat the same meal i i've heard you know oh that is true yeah they it's can't right cl classic airplane moment right you know uh so no i love that because I, I think you're right like they're in business people want to move things forward there needs to be this element of control and too many variables. I mean, it's the the jam jelly. I, you might know this. I think it was in Malcolm Glad one of Malcolm Gladwell's books, right? Too many options of jelly, and people don't buy as much because they're like, "Well, there's 24 choices. I can't decide. Do I want the raspberry or the raspberry peach or the peach peach or whatever?" Right? So, yeah. So I love that giving them giving the illusion of control, but it is still control because you're focusing them down that path. You're maintaining the macro control, right? By limiting. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, all right, Guy, before we, we go into our speed round questions, I do want to come back to this idea of uh, growing your taste muscle because I think this has value for people listening to this show. I, personally, I'm super interested in, in, in your advice here because it does feel like one of those things that obviously takes time. You have to hone your your muscle there. You have to work it. But how, what what advice would you give to someone if they're saying like, "Hey, I'm trying to be more creative. I'm be, to be more open to creative. I'm trying to you know define those kind of thoughts and feelings, opinions about things." How do you go about doing that as someone maybe 
Maybe you don't see yourself as super creative, and but you would like to get more so. This is a cop-out answer, but it's the truth, is just do it. Just start making decisions and, you know, realize that uh, these are not life and death decisions. And the best way to grow your taste muscle is by just failing a lot. Um, and maybe failing isn't the right word, but like learning from what works and what doesn't work. You know, Twitter started out as a platform called Odeo, which actually I belong to because I had a podcast back in 2004. Yeah, before Twitter, it was Odeo, but Odeo didn't work. So they just made Twitter. Hmm. So it's you're not a failure if something that you make doesn't do well. A lot of times people think that, you know, uh, an adage I live by is a uh, a film is never finished. It's released. Yep. And so if you wait for something to be perfect, you're going to like uh, there's a thing for if Windows had waited, if Microsoft had waited for Windows to be perfect, it still wouldn't be out. <laughs> so it's like just release, put stuff out there. And see what people like. That's the best way because it's like a it's like an input and a response. You know what I mean? It's like I put something out there, people like it, I get insights. And honestly, I get equal amount of insights, if not more insights, from stuff that doesn't work. Like one time we made a spot for Umalt that kind of makes fun of other agencies, no one by name, but just was very negative. And it did so poorly. And that taught me something. Okay. Like don't be ultra negative, you know, and, and just every little bit that goes out in the world, I gain insight. And that's how you work that muscle. It's just repetition. It's like, how does a NFL quarterback get good? They need reps, they need practice. So that's the ultimate thing is making a lot of decisions and then seeing them in the real world, how people react. I, uh, so one of my first jobs was a PA for um, uh, Man Show and then Crank Anchors. And Famous person's name. Obviously was on the Man Show. And he used to read daily like 50-page writer packs. And I've never seen – he was able to just flip through, circle, strike out, like make notes. He had exercised his, his taste muscle so well that in an instant – he was able to go through the pack and like know exactly what was good, what was bad or whatever. So the idea is, again, it's those are all decisions that he's making. And the other, finally, I'll say this is that don't worry about what would have been. So maybe there was a bit that Jimmy like crossed out, right? That may have been the best bit of all time. It doesn't matter. Like you cross it out, move on. Like, don't worry about this alternate, you know, universe where there's five Spider-Mans or whatever and all the ideas <laughs> that you didn't go with. Like, don't worry about it. Like, just live, go, move on. Like, be okay making decisions because you can always make other decisions that take you out of the bad ones you made. You know what I mean? It's about decision quantity, really. Um, that's actually where quantity over quality is what I would say. It's like, uh, don't worry about the quality of the decisions. Try your best, but just make a lot of them and put a lot of stuff out there and see what works. Yeah. I, well, great advice. I, I got to imagine also just watching a lot of stuff or reading a lot of stuff like does that is that part of that too because you got to see like and then making decisions about it like yeah that was good that was bad you know it's same same thing because if you don't have art if you're not always putting stuff out maybe that's a another alternative yeah yeah and 
don't um I, I absolutely like i i consume a ton of stuff i almost have like an encyclopedic memory of pretty much every commercial that has ever been um <laughs> and i'm and i'm getting insights just from other people's stuff too of what worked and what didn't work right but yeah i think it's it's all of that and really the biggest thing is don't be scared Unless you're like, and of course, like you should never do anything that's mean spirited or, you know, like hurtful of anything, but you know, what can happen? What can happen? The worst thing that'll happen is it just, no one says anything. That's actually the worst thing is it just has five (laughs) views and then you can always just take it down, whatever. Um, There's nothing that's going to happen if you do something that no one likes. Yeah. For sure. Well, Guy, this has been super awesome, and I've loved every minute of this conversation. But we're gonna we're gonna move along here. We're gonna go into our speed round, quick questions, quick answers. So let's go ahead and dive in. All right. So let's bring up the dice cam. We've got our twelve sided die. Twelve potential questions. I don't know what we're gonna ask. So here we go. Roll number one is uh, the line is underneath that. So that is a six. So I'm teaching dice nomenclature for people who've never looked at 12-sided die before. Uh, so share a piece of advice that you have, you've received that's had a long-lasting impact on you. Anything that you've gotten good advice on that just changed you, helped you, gave you a good course direction? Sure. Uh, I'll say one of the most recent pieces of advice is that... Uh, I got this from George Tenenbaum. Uh, He's a great copywriter. And I think he got this from Errol Morris, the famous documentary guy. And the piece of advice is subtlety is for amateurs. Um, (laughs) And I, I, I mean, it's so true. I mean, every time I'm trying to be subtle and cheeky and cute and, you know, like uh, nobody notices it. People have such, it's not the attention span. It's just the, um, it's that like we're preoccupied. Maybe it is attention span. I don't know. But like nobody notices anything. And so to like, don't be subtle, be like big. Like it just has, like if you ever watch an AT&T ad, they don't show you a real like iPhone interface. Like they show you like, it, it'll say like, buy now. And they're just a big button. It's a fake interface. Like no interface is that simple, but that's the only way they can get you to focus on one thing. So subtlety is for amateurs. Like you have to make it big or else it's just going to like, no one's going to notice it. I, I love that. I'm taking that one with me, but we're going to move on to our next question. So here's the dice roll again. Yeah, that is an eight this time. So let's see question number eight. Okay. Maybe this is too on point, but where do you turn for inspiration? I mean, you've talked about your encyclopedic knowledge basically of commercials, uh, but you're, I mean, you're cranking out lots of good stuff kind of continually. It's gotta be hard to keep the well full. So where do you go for, to be inspired? Um, I just, I would say honestly is live life. Uh, and, um, <laughs> the other thing I do is I have a, I was a big Google reader fan and when they sunset Google reader, <laughs> I was extremely upset, but I do have a replacement. It's called Feedly. You have to pay for it. Um, but it just aggregates like ad week and a bunch of different blogs and all that stuff. And every morning I just, I hit my J and K and just go down. It's the same shortcuts as Google reader. And I just, I go through it. You should see me. It's like very rapid fire. Most of it I don't read or even watch, but I just kind of like 
know it's out there. Um, and so what I would say is like have a daily routine. It takes me about 10 minutes to go through my Feedly list. Um, it could be, the other thing I will say is watch, I watch Saturday Night Live. I think if you watch Saturday Night Live, if you watch 60 Minutes, between those two programs, SNL and 60 Minutes, like you know what is the zeitgeist and what's happening in the world. And, you know, I would just say is like, again, it's like, it's like what you said, just it's a lot of consuming um, and just letting it wash over you. Don't worry about like taking notes or anything like that. Just let it kind of like osmosis into you. Well, I, I, I laughed uh, maybe a little too hard when you talked about Google reader, because I watched your GA4 sunsetting video. (laughs) (laughs) And so right on point, I see some inspiration there. Uh, but I love that, right? Look for what's going on zeitgeist. If you can, you can be on point and be on trend. All right. Well, guy, let's do one more and here we go. Last roll. That is question number four. Okay, what's your guilty pleasure song or movie that you secretly love? Now, it's not so, so secret because you're going to share it with us, but what's a song or that, you know, you, you maybe go back to it. You just. I love um, from the latest Frozen, Frozen 2, um, Lost in the Woods, uh, but not the not the movie version, the Weezer version. Uh, I think it's an yes. amazing song. And they killed it. You That's know, you know so funny because I was getting ready this morning and I almost asked the voice robot voice, which I won't say his name because I don't want it going off to play that song. So oh my gosh, it's <laughs> so good. And then it, their, their cover of Africa too. I mean, just amazing. Amazing. Yes. Of course, you know, some people will tell you right after the, like, there's what whatever the album was after the blue album that Weezer stopped. They just stopped being good. But no, there's. No. They're, they're uh, OK Human is an excellent album as well. A lot of lockdown playback in my household. So, oh, they're fantastic. I mean, and actually, they're if you think about Wizards, how have they stayed so relevant for so long? I mean, it is it's kind of ridiculous. And the fact that they put, you know, in Africa, Weird Al is in the Africa video. And to me, those two artists have had an amazing run at staying incredibly relevant through many decades. And the fact that they're like both intertwined says, you know, says something. Yeah, they're definitely amazing. Well, Guy, thank you again for joining us here. Uh, Before we, we wrap up, if people wanted to connect with you, they want to see your work, they want to maybe even work with you, where should they go? Uh, you could go to umalt.com. I'll spell it for you because it's the most unspellable <laughs> brand name. It's U-M-A-U-L-T.com. And you could see a bunch of our work. We also have a pretty active YouTube channel. And that's uh, just search for Umalt, U-M-A-U-L-T. And uh, yeah, we're there. Yeah. And I, I definitely recommend go watch the, some videos on the channel. We'll make sure links are in the description, things like that, because uh, just really fun and fantastic and uh uh just really well done you can tell you didn't you didn't let the creative slide and just go with mediocre uh so really good stuff uh well guys we wrap up the show today we always ask our guests for uh kind of their wrap up their summary so guy bauer what is your final take i guess my final take is that to be like alexander hamilton so in the musical there's alexander hamilton and aaron burr Alexander Hamilton is the good guy. Aaron Burr is the bad guy. 
and look at the motivations of each. Alexander Hamilton wanted to speak his mind. He didn't really care who, uh, how polarizing he was. Aaron Burr it was the opposite. Aaron Burr wanted to be loved by all. He even told Alexander Hamilton, talk less, smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. And who is the bad guy and who is the good guy 200 something years later? So the person that spoke their mind, that had the courage to trust their voice and their instincts, they're the good guys. So the same thing with you and your creative is trust yourself. Like, don't be scared. Don't worry about what has been done or what are the risks of failure. Like, Speak your mind because it is valid, just like Alexander Hamilton had good things. And Aaron Burr, because he was just kind of saccharine and made no decisions and just wanted to be loved by all, who's he? He's just a bad guy. B. Hamilton. B. Hamilton. I love it. Well, Guy Bauer, thank you once again for joining me here in the Visual Lounge. Thanks, Matt. It was awesome. You bet. All right, everybody, go check out Guy's videos, his team's videos. They are amazing. I mean, some of them I just laughed and laughed at. Some of them were, got me thinking like, oh my gosh, it's just so much creativity. And I love this approach, right? Think about how you can flip the script a little bit on the way you do things, especially when it comes to asynchronous, right? Like, of course, pitches are live. Pitches, that's how they've always been done. Well, maybe not. Maybe there's a better way. So, you know, part of this is all just like we always talk about here is getting a little bit better at whatever you're doing, whether it's creative, whether it's about learning to communicate better, whether it's about making video or using video in your workplace. What we hope you do is take these ideas, put them into practice, try them out, and whatever you're doing, just take a little time to level up every single day. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>